Um, we're going to look at John 15 today. Uh, it, it should also be printed on the, the screen, uh, in your bulletin, on the screen behind me as well. Uh, but just to sort of situate us a, a little bit here, remember uh, this year we've been going through the Gospel of John together, and we've been thinking about life with Jesus uh, together this whole year. We took a break in the summer, and we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, but still thinking about life with Jesus together. Uh, and remember, in this portion of John's gospel, uh, we, are, uh, we are in the last week of Jesus' life. Uh, chapters 12 through 21 of John's gospel all cover like one week of Jesus' life. And then we even hone in uh, even sharper in chapters 13 through 17 into the last 24 hours uh, of Jesus' life. And so that's where we're at. We're in the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. And what we've been talking about the last few weeks is how Jesus is going through his bucket list with his disciples. Like he's doing the very last things that he wants to do with his disciples while he is, he is on earth. And so to, today we come to, to chapter 15. And we're going to read this passage together and then, uh, and then think about it. Um, but, uh, y'all, this is, this is God's word for us. Uh, think about that for just a second. Uh, the creator of heaven and earth, the, the one who called everything into existence, including us, we owe our very existence to him, has spoken to us through his word. How, how awesome is that? This is God's word. John 15. This is Jesus talking. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for that, all I, for that all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Uh, Father, we, uh, we come to your word. We recognize uh, the, 
just the, the, the awesomeness that you would want to communicate with us and give us your word, that you would want to, to show us that we're broken and that we're sinful and that we need a Savior and that you would want to, to, to show us Jesus by being the word come flesh, made flesh, and dwelling among us to lay down your life for your friends. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes and our hearts more and more and more to Jesus this morning. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I want to start this morning by having us kind of consider a a question. Uh, And I think it's a question that we've probably all sort of thought about at some point in time in in our lives. And here's the question. Um, How do you want to be remembered? Uh, when, When people think of you, uh, how do you hope that they think of you? How do you want to be remembered? How do I uh, want to be remembered? And I'm struck that immediately by asking that question that, um, that we very quickly run to stories in terms of our memories, don't we? we? We think of stories when we think about being remembered. Here's just a few examples. All right, for some of you that uh, are big NFL fans, okay? Uh, you like football, you've been watching it for a while. I'm sure that those of you that were alive when Joe Theismann had his injury on the field rem- remember that. Like you, and, and even today, when a quarterback suffers a terrible injury, it always gets compared to Joe Theismann and his injury. For those of you that have been watching the NFL uh, a, a, little bit, a little bit later, um, I can't help but think of Mark Sanchez, the quarterback for the New York Jets, and the infamous butt fumble, where he ran into the back of his center and he fumbled the ball and lost it. He'll always be known uh, for that. Some of us in here remember when the internet did not exist. And some of us don't have memories apart from the internet uh, existing. Uh, Some of us uh, in here have been in Greenville for a long time, and you remember what Greenville used to be like 20 years ago and and, and what it's like now, and some of us haven't been here that long, but I can tell you having been here almost six years in the last five years, uh, it's a a totally different place than it was even uh, five years ago. And our, our memories also connect in with our loved ones too, don't they? We often think about loved ones that have gone on before us, and stories come to mind. One of, one of, uh, one of the stories that always comes to mind for me in this is, uh, is with my great-grandmother. So I got the privilege of living for 18 years with, with my great-grandmother, with one of my great-grandmothers, uh, and I got to know her quite well. Um, her name is Maisie Williams, and uh, we called her Mimi. She was our Mimi. And there's two things that I remember about my Mimi. One, she loved to cook. And two, she dipped snuff. All right? These are two things that I remember about my great-grandmother. Well, on, on the, the day that she died, which was right before I moved out and went, and went off to college, her daughters, she had three daughters, her daughters were trying to get in touch with her, and she wasn't answering the phone. And so they... They knew something was probably up, and they didn't want to be the ones to go over there and, and, and check and see, so they called my dad, um, her grandson, <clears throat> and my dad went over, and he, he found my great-grandmother. He found my Mimi. She was 
slouched on the floor beside uh, the, the stove. She had just finished frying up some chicken for lunch, and she had, and she had dip stains on her, on, on her mouth. Um, and that's, you know, that's a story that, 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 that taps into everything that I remember about my great-grandmother. Well, this passage, here's what I want us to see this morning with this passage in John 15. Jesus is telling his disciples, Jesus is telling us how he wants to be remembered. And he does that by giving us a singular image. And here's the image. He wants us to remember him as the true vine. So that's where we're going to camp out today. If you're, if you're a note taker, we're looking at one image. Uh, we're looking at the true vine. And then what we're going to do is we're going to unfold the character and the contents of the vine. Uh, but let's think together about the vine here for just a second. So this language of the true vine that Jesus uses here, it actually taps us back into the Old Testament, okay? Um, throughout the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, uh, are often referred to as a, as a vine. Uh, if you go back and you look in Isaiah, if you look in Ezekiel, you look in Jeremiah, Hosea, in the Psalms, like it's, it's throughout there. Israel is often referred to as a vine. But here's the thing. Israel is referred to as a vine that is withering, as a vine that is degenerate, that doesn't really have life to it, that's not really a, a true vine. And uh, as Israel is referred to as a vine, it's often more about how they are not being who God wants them to be. You see, Israel was supposed to be uh, God's people bringing God's message and God's blessing into the world. And they often failed to do that. And so when Jesus says that he is the true vine, what Jesus is saying here, and he's looking at his disciples, he's looking at us, and he's saying, I am everything that Israel was supposed to be. And I'm everything that Israel was pointing to. I am the true vine. And then he says about us that we are the branches. That we are the branches connected to the true vine. Now, let me clear out something for us here. Because if we go back and we look at verse 6, we see that some of these branches are they're thrown out and they're, and they're burned away. Uh, if you guys will remember, going back through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus uh, in the Sermon on the Mount is, is getting at this, this distinction between the counterfeit and the real thing. And Jesus even says, there will be many who will say, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name. And Jesus will look at them and he'll say, depart from me, I, I, I never knew you. And so in verse 6 here, when Jesus is talking about these vines, that, are, that, that, that sorry, these branches, that are burned up, he's talking about the counterfeit there, okay? Now remember, be encouraged. If you're sitting out there and you're thinking, mm, man, am I possibly the counterfeit? Then you're not, okay? If you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, there's no possible way I would ever be that, then be warned. Jesus' words come to us as a warning. But clear that out there. But Jesus talks about these true branches as well, too. And, and what's true about these true branches is that they abide in the true vine. Okay? So if we look at the vine, we've got branches, and true branches abide in the vine. Look at verse 4. 
Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We, the branches, abide in the true vine. Our lives reside in Jesus. This word uh, abiding, I want us to take a a few moments to spell out some of what um, this word means. One thing that abiding means is that, uh, is that we live with Jesus. Like we, make our, we make our home with Jesus. And here's the ramifications of that. <clears throat> when we wake up, Jesus is there. When we go to sleep, Jesus is there. Uh, our homes are supposed to be places of rest and peace. Jesus is our place of rest. Jesus is our place of peace. And if you're sitting in here this morning and maybe your home's not like that, I want to acknowledge that. At the very least, you, you wish that your home was, that it, that, that it was a place of rest and peace. Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our peace. Our homes are also our foundations, too. We think about that for a second. We always carry home with us wherever we go. My story about my great-grandmother still sticks with me today, right? Like, we carry Jesus with us everywhere we go. We are shaped by him. We live with him. Here's another thing about abiding. Abiding communicates a sense of uh, constance. Like, that Jesus is constantly with us, and we are constantly drawing from this true vine that we're never alone, that he's always with us. He's constantly working in us. He's constantly showing us our sin and our need for him, showing us our brokenness and our need for him. It's like this, we've talked about this before, that, that throughout our lives as Christians, um, what happens is we have an encounter with Jesus, and then in the Christian life, What Jesus does to us is he shows us more and more and more how much we need him. The Christian life is not about needing Jesus less. The Christian life is about seeing how much more we do need him, seeing how deep our sin is and how big and gracious and wonderful and forgiving he is, seeing how deep our brokenness is and how much we need his healing presence with us. We need more and more of Jesus. That's our recognition as we grow. And, and the Bible talks about this. The word, that, that the theological word that the Bible uses to describe this is, is the word sanctification. Uh, and sanctification is growing in Jesus, continuing to grow in Jesus, continuing to grow in, in seeing how deep our sin is and seeing how big God's grace is to us in Jesus. So Jesus lives with us, he's constant, and we are also held by him. That's the other thing that I want us to see about abiding, that we are held by Jesus. Uh, A few years ago, our kids were playing with some friends out in the woods, and our oldest, Lucy, uh, in the midst of this, she she got lost in the middle of the woods, Um, and we couldn't find her. And and parents out here, like, you know how... like gut-wrenching that is. And so we were running through the woods, yelling for her, 
trying to hear her. Uh, in, in, on the back end of these woods were a couple of ponds that were in a, in a little bit of an open area as well, too. And so as a dad, like, I'm running around. I'm, I'm, I'm screaming her name. I'm thinking to myself, did she make it down in there? And, you know, all of the worst things come to mind, right? Um, and, uh, and Lucy's mom, Carrie, she too is running through the woods and yelling for Lucy and yelling for Lucy. And, uh, and she, can, she, she starts to faintly hear Lucy. And Carrie literally like runs down a ravine and up the other side of it. Uh, and finds her, and what she does is she runs into her, and she grabs her, and she holds her. She holds her tightly, like she pulls her in. She shows her, like, it's okay. You were lost. You were wandering. We were scared. You're found. You're with me. I'm going to hold you tightly. I'm going to pull you in and hold on to you. Do we realize that that's how Jesus is with us? Like, we're lost, and we're, we're wandering, and we're off on our own, and we, and we don't really know where we are, and we need to be found. And what Jesus does is he runs after us. He runs through ravines. He pursues us. He comes to us, and he holds us tightly. In verse 16 here, he tells us that he even chose us to abide in him. And that tells us something about Jesus. He always initiates with us. He's always the one who is pursuing us. He's always the one who is grabbing a hold of us and holding us tightly. Realize this is is what's also pictured when we have baptisms. Baptism is all about Jesus. Baptism is about how tightly Jesus is holding on to us. And that's what ultimately abiding is. Abiding is us seeing that Jesus holds on to us more tightly than we will ever hold on to him. We are branches by Jesus' pursuing grace. And he works in us to abide in him. Now, as I say all of this, Honestly, I easily forget it. I do. There are a whole host of things that I try to abide in. I try to abide in, uh, in my work. I try to abide in parenting. I even try to abide in the future that's, not, that's way out there. There are a host of things that, 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 that I try to abide in. And oftentimes, those things that I'm trying to abide in ultimately boil down to wanting the approval of others. They ultimately boil down to that. Now, it's not wrong to want others to think well of you, okay? But if your life is driven by the approval of others, there's a good chance that you're abiding in that thing, that that's the thing that you're running to to find rest and peace and a home, And what that ultimately leads to, whatever that is that you're trying to abide in, what that ultimately leads to is a lack of rest. Abiding in anything other than Jesus will always demand more. It will never be enough, right? And maybe you're here this morning, you're a lot like me. I'm not even sure that I ever really like slow down to realize that. 
Maybe you're a lot like me, and I just think about, i got to move to the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. And I don't even slow down to think about the reality that like, I am finding my worth. I am abiding in my work ethic, in getting things done. Whatever we abide in, other than in Jesus, will always require more of us. It will always demand more, whether it's money, whether it's parenting, whether it's your reputation, whether it's pleasure, your future. Only Jesus is enough. Only his grace is sufficient. And Jesus tells us something about abiding in him. He tells us that abiding in him means that he will produce fruit in us. Verses 2, verse 4, verse 5, verse 8, verse 16. That, that Jesus really gets at this whole idea of that he is producing fruit in us. Now, when the Bible talks about fruit, it's always talking about character. It's always talking about producing uh, character. Fruit and character in the Bible go hand in hand. If, if we were to, to jump a little bit further forward and take a look at one of the Apostle Paul's letters to the church uh, in Galatia, one of the things the Apostle Paul talked about as being fruit of the Spirit, there were actually a number of things. He says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like he, he names all of these things. Um, do we realize that those things are not measured like sales quotas? Like, it's not like we can just, like, post that up on the board and say, well, check there, check there, check there, check there. It, it, it doesn't work that way. Like, character is deeper than just a list that we can make and put a bunch of check marks in. Character is a process. It's time. It happens over a long period of time. And Jesus is saying, fruit is looking more and more like me. Love, joy, peace, patience. Like, you realize Jesus is like the epitome of all of those things. When Jesus talks about fruit, he's talking about us growing in our character, growing in being more and more like him. Now, I don't know about you all, but I grew up thinking I grew up thinking that my relationship with Jesus, that my relationship with God, was really at the end of the day more about what I was doing for Him, uh, what what I was bringing to the table, uh, whether or not I was doing my devotion devotional every single morning. Now that's bad. That's good. We need to read our Bibles. I'm not. I'm not saying that, but but thinking that that is the thing that is making me pleasing to God. That going on mission trips is the thing that's making me pleasing to God. I really thought that my relationship with God was about what I was doing for him. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not what your relationship with me is like. Fruit is recognizing more and more what God has done for us, beloved is drawing more and more on the true vine, seeing that Jesus shapes us, seeing everything that God has done for us 
in Jesus. And what that does is it changes our motivations away from what am I doing for God and toward what God has done for me, for us, in Jesus. And the natural outworking of that is what Jesus talks about in verses 10 and 11 and 14, following his commands, obeying his commands. That's the natural outworking of abiding in Jesus, of our lives being situated around what Jesus has done for us. Jesus even tells us that it will change the way that we pray in verse 7. That our prayers will actually change. That we won't pray so much, God, can you do this for me? Can you do this for me? We'll start thinking more and more about, God, what would you have me do? God, how would you show me more and more of my sin and my need for Jesus? That's what Jesus is talking about in verse 16 and and, and in in verse 7. That our prayers begin to be lined up with wanting to be lined up with Jesus. So even those things change as well too. Now, if if you're hearing this for the first time, and you're sitting there thinking to yourself, man, yeah, I have thought that my relationship with God is all about what I'm doing for him. Don't be discouraged. Don't, don't be discouraged. Um, God is at work. And, and, and I'm not that old, but the older I get, the more and more I realize that God is using everything in our lives to show us how beautiful our Savior is. Everything. Even, even those years where I thought that my relationship with him was based on what I was doing for him. God is using that. So if you're hearing this for the first time, don't be discouraged. God is at work. And Jesus tells us that this fruit, it comes by way of pruning from the vine dresser. Uh, the vine dresser in, in here is the father. Um, Jesus tells us that fruit comes by pruning. Look back at verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, that is the vine dresser, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Um, I know that there's at least a couple people in here that have grapevines, and there may be even more than than, than I realize. Well, I'll be honest, I've never really paid much attention to grapevines, I've never gotten into that, but, but this week I started looking at that. Um, and I started realizing that when grapevines are pruned, like I watched some, I watched some videos of this and everything, man, I'm going to tell you when a grapevine gets pruned, it looks like a massacre. Like you, you start out with that grapevine looking all lush and everything. And it even has some fruit on it and everything. And these pruners, these professional like grapevine trainers come through and they start lopping stuff off. And you walk away thinking to yourself, man, they just killed that thing. That thing is devastated. There's no, there's no way. Like, there's so much. Like, there's even fruit on the ground. Like, aren't we supposed to be getting the grapes from this thing kind of thing and everything? Um, but the reality is, is that everybody who is a grape farmer or, or owns grapevines and has grapevines and, and prunes them, the reality is, is that that pruning, that cutting back, actually creates growth in the grapevine. It actually... Uh, allows that grapevine to grow and produce fruit to its fullest potential. 
new life comes through when grapevines are, are pruned. When I was in college, we had a, a basset hound that we named Red. And uh, we often referred to him as a sofa alligator, because if you've ever watched a basset hound try and get off of a sofa, it looks like an alligator going into a pond. And, and he, um, Red had these long nails, okay? And he hated having his nails clipped. I mean, like, like he really, 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 really fought it. But his nails would get so long to the point that, like, he had a hard time getting around. Like, he, he actually had a hard time walking around. And so it would come time, me and my, my younger brother, Jesse, he's my younger brother, not my little brother, because there's not many people littler than me. But um, me, me and my younger brother, Je- Jesse, would have to get red and he would, he would have to hold Red down while I, while I clipped his nails, like while I finally, finally clipped his nails. And let me tell you, that dog didn't fight much at all in its life, but it fought every time we tried to clip its nails. Um, and what would happen inevitably is as we finally got those nails clipped and we released the sofa alligator, um, he would like he would get really jumpy and spry, and he would realize, oh, wait, like, this is, this is better. Life is better with, with my nails being clipped. Pruning is grace, beloved. What's true is that when we are going through grace, oftentimes it hurts when it's happening. And on the other side of it, afterward we realize how bad it was over there and how much better it is over here on this side of things. We're a lot like red. Like we want to fight tooth and nail God's grace, being pruned by him so that we would grow in his grace. We fight that a lot. How do you do that? How do you fight God's grace? I can tell you, I fight God's grace a lot. I like the idea of being self-reliant. I like the idea of depending on, on myself. Um, I don't like the idea of having to depend on others. I fight God's grace in that. I am, I am prone to abiding in being self-made. Maybe you fight grace um, with your pride. Maybe you're like me, and you like being self-reliant. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and, and you really like to be right about things, and you really have a hard time admitting when you're wrong. And you even know that, that, that when you realize that you're wrong, how hard it is to admit that and to own up to that and to be honest about that, and you're fighting grace in that. I'm fighting grace in that. Maybe you're here this morning and God is trying to show you that your life just revolves around how you can manage everything to benefit yourself. And you're fighting grace in that way. Maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to abide in your kids. Trying to abide in your children as you're, as you're striving to raise them in the Lord. And maybe God is showing you that, that, that maybe you're, you're raising them with eyes of how you think success looks like for them and that you're actually imposing your view of what their life is supposed to be like and what it's supposed to look like 
and, and, and failing to recognize God is at work in them. They are not you. They are going to be different. And trying to see where God is at work and affirm that in them and affirm this reality, as we've already said, y'all, God holds more tightly on our children than we ever will. As tight as we hold on to them and as much as we love them, God holds them in Jesus more tightly than we do. Abiding in Jesus means that we are shaped by the vine dresser, by the Father, to be more like Jesus, that we are pruned by grace, to produce fruit by grace, to grow, to have new life, to come to a deeper and deeper understanding that the heartbeat of the Christian life is repenting and believing the gospel over and over again, seeing how much bigger Jesus is in our lives. Abiding is realizing that we are 100% dependent on Jesus. And the last thing I want us to see this morning is that all of this, all of this is held together by love. Verses 9 through 17, Jesus uses the word love nine times. Nine times. And he talks about the love that the Father has for him. He talks about the love that he has for us. He talks about the love that the Father and the Son have for us. He talks about the love that we are to have for one another. And we can't read this passage and engage this passage without realizing that that love is honest with us. That it's 100% honest with us. That that love prunes that that love shows us our faults and our failures and our brokenness, all of those things. And that's really, really hard because we, we, we are living in a world where, where love gets defined as, uh, as unqualified affirmation. And that means that, 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 that we are living in a world where, where we, are, we are striving to think about identity and character and community through the lens of self. That, I, that, that identity is actually about finding self. That character is about being true to self. That community is about surrounding myself with people who are going to pat me on the back and make me feel good. And that idea of love is not the love of the Bible. God's love is honest. God's love is much deeper than pats on the back, y'all. God's love digs down deep. It prunes. It wants to see us grow into who we are made to be in Jesus. Unqualified affirmation is not enough. It will always demand more. It will always ask for more from us. If I live my life just by, just by seeking the approval of everybody else around me, there will always be more people that I, can, that, that I can get their approval from. If we live our lives parenting by, by the standard of we just want to make sure that we've done a good job, it will never be enough. It won't get us there. Trying to live apart from the true vine will never be enough. We have to abide in Jesus. And Jesus' love 
is much greater than pats on the back. Jesus' love, he tells us, lays down his life for his friends. That he would give himself for us. Jesus' love is deeper. Jesus' love is enough. Jesus even identifies with us in this. Because think for just a second about what he's doing with this bucket list. He's with his closest friends, right? And, and, and if, you've been, if you're here and you've been with close friends and close loved ones and you've lost them, you know how much those who've gone on before us are saddened by leaving. Don't miss, Jesus is sad that he's leaving his best friends. He even identifies with us in that. But he knows that his love carries him far past this life. That his love carries him into resurrection. And brings us into resurrection with him. And what Jesus does is he works that very same love into us. That we would love God. That we would love each other, that we would be those who are pruned by grace to love one another. Not because we're so lovable, I know that I'm not, but because we are so loved by Jesus. Jesus wants us to remember him, that he is the true vine, that we are the branches and he wants us to abide in his grace. And beloved, he wants us to grow in his love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that, that we would hear your plea to abide in Jesus, to find our lives in Jesus this morning. We pray that, you, that we would hear your plea to love you and to love each other that we would see that when you work in our hearts, that though sometimes it's painful and it hurts, that you are growing us to be more and more like our Savior. We thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray you would continue to work in our hearts to be more and more like Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.